who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Ancestor, written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler, performed by the author. Ancestor is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, Visit scottsigler.com slash ancestor. November 13th. I hate it when you call me Big Papa. Implantation plus four days. One of his cell phones buzzed. Lower left inside jacket pocket. Only one person had that number. Magnus quickly walked to his office and shut the door behind him. He didn't need to share these calls with Dante. Not just yet, anyway. Dante's will seemed to be faltering. They'd reached that point before, with Galena. Magnus, of course, had fixed that, just like he would fix things now. He answered the phone. Go ahead. Well, hello, Big Papa. The incoming area code said 702, Las Vegas. All he knew about Farm Girl was that she had once worked for the NSA. Maybe she still did. Judging from the crap sound of the call, she had already bounced the signal through a dozen relay points and was nowhere near Vegas. You sure know how to throw a party, she said. Dad is looking for you and your friends in the dairy industry. Magnus nodded. Dad was Fisher. She wouldn't have called for just that. Didn't take a rocket scientist to know CIA Assistant Director Murray Longworth would still be driving Fisher to track down Rumkorf and Jean. Longworth did not like loose ends. So why doesn't Dad come ask me himself? He knows where I live. He is, she said. He's coming to see your brother. Magnus felt his eyes narrow and his lip curl. He forced himself to relax. If Fisher tried to screw with Dante, the man had another thing coming. How close is Dad to finding my friends? Doesn't have a clue where to start. Heck, Big Papa, even I don't know where they are. That was as close as you could get to a compliment from this woman. If Farm Girl couldn't find you, you couldn't be found. Colding and Dante had really pulled it off, hiding the project right under the Americans' noses. Dad's frustrated, Farm Girl said. If your friends stay quiet, I don't think he'll find them at all. 
Glad to hear it. Anything else? I need to expand my wardrobe a bit. Things get more costly every day. Farm Girl wanted more money. Well, fuck it. She could have more money. Thanks to her intel, Janata was the only horse left in the xenotransplantation race. That's fine, Magnus said. Maybe Santa will be nice to you this year. I like Santa. I love to sit on his lap. Magnus sighed and hung up. Once she started with the sexual innuendo, she didn't stop. She sounded sexy as hell, true, but he'd heard enough about her in certain circles to know that getting horizontal with Farm Girl could be a very bad experience. The woman was nine shades of psycho. Fisher and Longworth were clueless. The rest of the G8 nations had no idea Janata was still in the hunt. The Chinese knew, but they weren't about to talk and give up a chance to save millions of their own people. Janata now had the most valuable resource it could hope for. Time. The Roomcorf project, it seemed, might just pan out after all. November 14th, hot midnight. Implantation plus five days. Colting typed in the super-secret password of 0000 and entered the security room. Gunther sat at the terminal, his eyes wide and his fingertips flying across the keyboard. One sec, he said, without looking away from the screen. His fingers never paused. Colding shut the door behind himself and stood there, waiting. Once Gunther got into a writing groove, you just had to let the man do his thing. She screamed and grabbed the broken pool cue, Gunther muttered, leaning so close to the monitor that he had to turn his head a little to read from left to right. Never again, Sansom said. Never again will you harm my love. He jabbed the cue down like an axe, and the point punched through Count Darkon's unprotected chest. As the body vanished... No, wait, wait. As the body disintegrated... Yeah, that's the shit right there. He knew it was over. Forever. Gunther leaned way back in his chair until it almost tipped over, pumping his raised fists in victory. The end, bitches! You're done? Hell fucking yeah! I just finished Hot Midnight. The trilogy is complete. Nice work. Colden checked his watch. Not to muck up your afterglow or anything, but I need to report to Dante. All right. Gunther stood then lean forward to tap in a few more keys. Just saving this slice of brilliance. Congrats, man. When do you send it to publishers? How does that even work? Screw the publishers, Gunther said. I'm going to give this baby away. Give it away? Yeah, online, Gunther said. You'll see. I'll rack up so many fans the publishers have to give me a big fat deal. Gunther walked past, his eyes once again dopey-looking and half-lidded. He held up his hand for a high five, which Colding met, and then Gunther walked out and closed the door behind him. Give the book away for free? That was the dumbest thing Colding had ever heard of. He moved the mouse and clicked the icon labeled Manitoba, then waited patiently as the encrypted line connected with the home office. Less than a minute later, Dante's smiling face appeared. Good morning, PJ. How's the weather out there? Getting colder, sir. Word is, we're due for a big dose of the white stuff. When it comes, you have to get on those snowmobiles. Fabulous times. What's up? 
They did it. Colding watched Dante's reaction. The man looked half hopeful, half skeptical. They've done what, exactly? Implantation. Finally, Dante said, more of a breath than a word. And it's successful thus far? Colding nodded. Forty-seven cows are pregnant. Two failed to implant, one fetus aborted on day two. What's more, all of the pregnancies are either twins or triplets. Dante smiled a wide smile, a genuine smile. Colding realized that he had never actually seen a real, heartfelt smile from Dante. It made the man look a bit maniacal. How long, Dante said. How long until we have an actual birth? Well, we don't know, Colding said. Getting to this point was a major accomplishment, but Doc Roomcorp said there's bound to be complications. The fetuses are growing very fast, which makes it hard to react to problems. It's been five days, and they're already around 15 pounds each. If they survive, how long until a live animal, PJ? Colding shrugged. Too early to tell, really, but it could be anywhere from a month to three months. Dante grimaced. Just do what you can to give me at least one live animal. Will do. Uh, Dante, as long as I got you here, I was wondering if you had an update on Dr. Hole. Any word on her? Dante sat back. His demeanor seemed to change instantly. She's fine. Don't worry about her and do your job. The subject was clearly off limits, and Colding could do nothing about it from Black Manitou. How about Colonel Fisher? Does he have any idea where we are? Dante shook his head. No, but he's looking. Hard. We must have live animals if we're going to get the media and the public on our side. The fetuses will grow at their own rate, Dante. It's up to nature now. Dante didn't like that answer, but had to accept it. He knew enough about biology to understand things had to run their course. Very well, PJ. Keep me updated. Dante broke the connection. Colding looked at his watch. He could go check up on Jean, or he could see if Sarah was around. John was with Roomcorf and Tim. She'd be fine. He'd go find Sarah. Colding walked out of the security room, amazed at once again feeling excited and nervous about talking to a woman. The Infected Trilogy is an unabridged three-season audio fiction series from number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. 88 episodes, 53 hours of horror are free and available now wherever you listen to podcasts. November 14th, Taste. Implantation plus five days. The two forming creatures floated inside the amniotic sac, pressed face to face like sleepy lovers. The liquid environment supported their growing weight. Millions of chemical compounds drifted freely within that liquid. Some of those compounds were strong enough to register as scents, and others strong enough to register as tastes. Inside two tiny mouths, those taste compounds landed on tiny tongues. Newly formed dendrites fired off chemical messages, chemical messages that traversed a tiny gap, known as the synapse, to land on the axons of the next nerve cell. This process repeated up the chain, traveling from the tiny tongues to the tiny brains in a fraction of a second. Those taste signals activated a very primitive area in the newly formed brains. In effect, 
taste turned the brains on for the first time. There were no thoughts, no decisions, although those things would come soon enough. There was only a short, intense race against time. For the taste activated an instinct that would drive the creature's every waking moment. Hunger. November 15th, cow 16 minus 1. Implantation plus 6 days. Hans shook his shoulder. Klaus Ruhmkorff tried to open his eyes, but they seemed glued shut. Lights blared right through his eyelids. Doc, wake up! Tim's voice? Tim, who had replaced Erica. A stab of emptiness. Klaus had told himself he didn't feel a thing for that woman anymore. That had been easy to believe when she was around every day, but now that she was gone, he felt her absence. Wake up, damn it! Tim's voice, ringing with stress. His breath, reeking of scotch. And the man's palpable body odor. How long since Tim had bathed? Come on, bro, Tim said. There's a problem with cow 16. Klaus moaned. His back was so stiff. Where was he sleeping? On a cot. In a plane. He wasn't even bothering to go back to the mansion anymore. Instead, he just slept in the C-5's bunk room. And the body odor? That wasn't Tim. Maybe a shower was in order. Klaus opened his eyes to see Tim's blurry, anxious face. Cow 16, Klaus said as he reached for his glasses. That one has uh, twins or triplets? It was twins, Tim said, but now the ultrasound shows only one fetus. Klaus slid his glasses in place. Tim's words hit home. He stood and walked out of the bunk room, Tim following close behind. November 15th. That's not normal. Implantation plus six days. Colding couldn't help but wince a little. Sure, it was science, but that didn't change the fact that he was watching Tim Feely slide a tube into a cow's vagina. A harness suspended the cow, keeping her hooves just a few inches off the ground. Tim wore long gloves that were smeared with a clumpy, whitish substance that Colding could only think of as cow smegma. A little deeper, Ruhmkorff said. His voice had a flat tone but dripped with anger and tension. He sat at a portable fiber-optic workstation, staring intently at a screen showing a fleshy, pinkish tunnel, the view from deep within the cow's womb. The 3D ultrasound workstation sat close by, pressed up against the door of the stall opposite cow 16's. Jean half hid behind the machine, trying to stay out of the way. Ruhmkorff had shoved the workstation there in disgust when the high-tech, gold-tinted image showed only one ancestor fetus where yesterday there had been two. Then he'd started screaming, apparently, which was when Jean sneaked away and asked Colding to come to the C5. Deeper, Ruhmkorff said. Get it in there. I love it when you talk dirty, Doc, Colding said. Ruhmkorff sighed and shook his head. This is not the time for your stupid fucking jokes. Yikes, Colding said. Just trying to lighten the mood. Trying and failing. Ruhmkorff was mad because the cow had reabsorbed one of its twin fetuses. 
Reabsorption was when the mother's body made some primitive yet calculated decision to not only abandon the small fetus, but also break it down and reuse the raw materials. The problem was, reabsorption only happened when fetuses were a few ounces. It did not happen when they were roughly 20 pounds. Deeper, goddammit, Rumkorf shouted. I don't have all day. His comb-over was starting to fray. In the cow stall, Tim started to sweat. Doc, come on, Colding said. Just take it easy. I don't need your input, Colding. Shut up or I will kick you out of here. Mr. Feely, you insufferable idiot. Can you do your damn job? That would be just about enough of that. Colding put a hand on Rumkorf's shoulder, letting his thumb slide behind the trapezium muscle just to the left of the neck, pointer finger in front, just above the collarbone. He pinched the fingers together. Rumkorf stiffened in his chair and hissed in a short breath. We're all under a lot of stress here, Doc, wouldn't you say? Yes, Rumkorf said. Of course. Good. And you know shouting and stress affect Jean, so let's just calm everything down. Tim is doing fine, don't you think? Colding relaxed the pinch a little, but kept the muscle firmly between his thumb and forefinger. Of course, Rumkorf said. Uh, Timothy, my apologies. In the stall, Tim nodded absently. His attention remained focused on the fiber optic tube. Colding released the pressure and gave Rumkorf's shoulders a quick, friendly rub. There you go, Doc. All better. Rumkorf leaned forward, probably already forgetting Colding's rebuke. On the monitor, a crystal-clear image flared to life. Colding sent Jean walk up on his right, Tim walk up on his left, all three of them looking over Rumkorf's scattered comb-over at the image. Rumkorf reached out, fingertips touching the screen. Beautiful, isn't it? It's bigger, Tim said quietly. It shouldn't be that big. It can't be. A placental sac filled the screen, translucent pinkish-white lined with thin red and blue veins. Inside the sac, the fetal ancestor in profile. Its head looked twice as large as the rest of the body. Tiny paws folded up under a long snout, which was dominated by the huge, bluish, closed eye. Colding could even see a tiny, fluttering thing, the ancestor's beating heart. Fetuses average 20 pounds, Jean said quietly. They grow 20 pounds in six days. Rumcor's fingertips traced the closed eye. He turned and stared at Colding with wild eyes, his anger gone. You see? We've done the impossible. Colding couldn't find words. Until now, this had been something on paper, a process he administered just as someone might administer an assembly line or a manufacturing plant. Even the gold-tinted image from the 3D ultrasound had seemed somehow Hollywood. The live image from the fiber-optic camera finally brought it all home in full, wet color. This was a living creature. A man-made organism that had germinated somewhere in Jean and Rumkorf's genius, then clawed its way into existence. Colding tore his eyes away from the image to look at the little man who made it all happen. Pretty friggin' impressive, Doc. Rumkorf turned, smiled, and started to reply, but a strangled scream from Jean cut him off. Terror wrinkled her face into a disquieting caricature, locked her attention on the workstation screen. As one, 
Colding and Ruhmkorff looked back to the monitor. The fetal ancestor, eyes open, stared right back at them. Ruhmkorff jerked his fingers away from the screen and almost fell backward into Colding. An inexplicable wave of fear tingled up Colding's spine before he remembered it was only a computer monitor, and this was a picture of a small fetus, not some six-foot-long creature, looking at him with a malevolent gaze. Jean's hands flew to her head and grabbed huge fistfuls of hair. Tiana, he's coming for us! Jean, calm down, Colding snapped. Klaus, is that supposed to happen? No, Tim said. Fuck no, that's not supposed to happen. Ruhmkorff's skin looked even paler than normal, the hue of the walking dead. I must say, it's a bit unusual, but nothing to worry about. What? Tim said. A bit unusual. Dude, you are so full of shit. Just look at the goddamn thing. Mr. Feely, I'm not going to... Once again, Ruhmkorff found himself interrupted, this time by blurry motion on the monitor that drew everyone's attention. The fetal ancestor turned its wedge-shaped head. Now two black eyes stared out from the screen, right through the translucent placental sac. Colding knew the fetus was actually looking at the fiber-optic camera inside the womb, but the tiny eyes seemed to be looking right at him. Odd, Ruhmkorff said. Most animals don't open their eyes until after birth. The fetus opened its mouth and lurched forward, hitting the inside of the placental tissue and stretching it outward like a wet pink balloon. They all flinched. Jean screamed louder. The tiny head reared back. The sack stretched and torn whitish membrane sagged. Another violent thrust. The oversized head ripped through the sack in a cloud of swirling fluid. A gaping maw, pointy teeth. Jaws snapped shut and the image blinked into static. They heard a splashing from the stall. Colding looked back to see fluid spurting out of the cow's vagina, a three-second downpour cascading off the floor. The cow's water had just broke. Jeanne shouted something in Chinese, her voice an uneven tremor that rang with easily understood fear. She tangled both hands in her hair and yanked. Clenched fingers came away thick with long black strands. Colding grabbed her shoulders, turning her toward him. Jean, stop it! She stared at him, eyes wide with primal fear. She seemed terrified of him, as if she thought he was someone else. Or something else. She pulled another double handful of hair from her head, then shoved Colding hard in the chest. The move caught him by surprise. He tried to regain his balance, but his foot caught on Ruhmkorff's stool, knocking it over, and sending both men to the rubberized deck. Jean ran, disappearing down the open rear ramp, heavy feet pounding out a reverberating rhythm. Ruhmkorff was up first, surprisingly nimble. He helped Colding to his feet. Are you okay? I'm fine. Doc, do not try and tell me what I just saw was normal. It was probably just a reflexive action. Oh, fuck you, Tim said. Try studying your biology 101. Dr. Ruhmkorff. Colding left them both behind, sprinting past the docile cows sitting quietly in their plexiglass stalls. He ran down the rear exit ramp. John, wait! She kept moving, kept heading for the hangar door, fat shaking in time with her panicked waddle. Colding caught her just before she grabbed the door handle. She turned and tried to push him again, but he caught her wrists. She struggled for a moment, but he held her tightly. Her wide eyes stared at him without recognition.
Take it easy, Colding said. Jean, just take it easy. She blinked rapidly, then clarity seemed to return to her vision. She fell forward into his arms. The sudden move in her weight knocked him back a step, but he held her up. She wrapped her arms around him, head buried in his chest, her body shivering. You have been listening to Ancestor by Scott Sigler. Performed by the author. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. You've probably heard the name Mary, Queen of Scots, and maybe you know the importance of her legacy to the British monarchy. But how much do you know about her life and what she was really like? For instance, did you know that she preferred to have her eggs scrambled or that giving gifts was her love language? In my podcast, Vulgar History, we'll be talking about all that and more during an eight-part miniseries about the fascinating life of Mary, Queen of Scots. Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were, and it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But I'm dedicated to sharing the sides of the stories we don't always hear, and each episode is supported by rigorous historical research. Turns out there's really something about Mary Queen of Scots. So be sure to turn into my series about Mary Queen of Scots and check out the other incredible women I've talked about while you're there. You can listen and subscribe to Vulgar History wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at vulgarhistory.com.